So I'm on the red line one morning and it's rush hour and not the 10 o'clock DePaul student rush hour, the actual people in suits going to work rush hour. And it's a packed train. I'm the only t-shirt amongst a sea of suits and, and briefcases and things. And I'm holding on to one of the, the vertical metal poles that, that run perpendicular to the seats where people are sitting down. And as I said, it's a, uh, it's, it's a crowded train. So as I'm holding on to, to this pole, I'm kind of, my body is getting shoved further and further away from the pole until eventually uh, my arm's pretty much sticking straight out. And uh, I'll be honest, I was groggy, um, not paying a whole lot of attention, sort of uh, zombie eyes, considering it was actual morning rush hour. And for a college student, that's pretty early. Uh, I had my headphones in. I was listening to, I think it was Eric Bibb, something kind of soft and bluesy. And so I'm standing there, my arm is fully extended holding onto this metal pole, and all of a sudden, the train lurches side to side, very fast, left and right. And I'm knocked off balance. I start teetering. And since my arm is fully extended, I don't have any leverage. The pole is not helping me out at all. So. I'm falling, 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 and I feel myself falling, spinning around the pole. The pole's acting as sort of a focal point as I sort of spin around, grasping for anything <laughs> that could possibly stop my fall, and I end up in a young woman's lap. And so I start, I stand up, I start apologizing all over the place, and uh, it's one of those strange moments where I think she was so genuinely surprised at the situation that she didn't even put together the correct feelings and logic for the situation because she started apologizing to me as if it was somehow her fault that she was sitting so close to an idiot and I was so embarrassed after that that I had to actually get off of the train at the next stop and wait for the next red line to come by um, before I could continue on to where I was going. So my advice for you if you're new to DePaul, definitely hang on to the bars that run sort of horizontally against the ceiling. Reach for those instead because you will expose whoever's sitting in front of you to whatever your armpits smell like, but hopefully you'll avoid ending up in their lap. Yes, hello everybody, we're back on the Radio DePaul podcast. It certainly feels nice to be back in the studio recording this again after a long summer with no episodes. Uh, I'm Derek Peters, and our theme this week is going to be the reset button. It's the beginning of a new school year, which means so many people, organizations, etc., all across DePaul are looking to reposition themselves for the new school year. So today we're going to be diving in to those 
types of stories. You also heard my advice for incoming freshmen or anybody new to DePaul. And throughout the rest of the show, we're also going to get some words of wisdom from some of our other producers on the show. But we're going to start with perhaps the most obvious group of people who are looking to reposition themselves for a great year at DePaul, and that would be the incoming class of freshmen. Sanjana Karanth caught up with one member of this year's freshman class to talk to him about what he was expecting from DePaul and how his first weeks have gone. Welcome back, DePaulians. To the majority of us, this is just the beginning of yet another year as Blue Demons. However, for our first-year students, this is the first chapter in their new phase of life, college. For a lot of us, it's been a while since we've experienced stepping foot on campus as a freshman. What was it like anyway? Do we even remember? Enter Mitchell Vitto, freshman at DePaul University. Mitch is in the College of Computing and Digital Media, or CDM as we know it. He's currently deciding whether to pursue video game design or animation. Mitch was kind enough to sit down with me once before classes started and once after classes started, so we can get an idea of what goes on in a freshman's mind their first week of school. Let's start with the Saturday before classes, the day he moved in. How did it feel when you said bye to your parents? That's really when it hit me, like, this is actually happening. Yeah. Because I've slowly been trying to mentally prepare, like, I'm actually going to school. But then it's like, wow, I'm actually here. Oh, boy. You're actually I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, what about just, like, in general, campus life? Because I'm sure, like, even before classes, you've mm-hmm. experienced some campus life. Oh. Um, what did you expect? before moving in, how campus life would be like. Um, yeah, like, I figured, like, the RA, we had all those, like, meetings already, and just, mm-hmm. first day we moved in, uh, all the doors were open, so just got to walk yeah. in and say hi, meet a lot of cool people, mm-hmm. just make some fun new friends there and then. Yeah. And then we'll just go hang out at the Taste or the block party that they've had for us. Yeah, was it, like, how you expected it to be, or um, um, better than, worse than... Uh, probably even better than I expected. Yeah. Like, in my mind, it's like, okay, you're just going to be a bunch of awkward, lonely, freshman college kids, and we're all just going to hide in our rooms at first. Yeah. But no, everyone was really open about it and just really welcoming. So, now that we know Mitch has successfully moved in to DePaul, what's he been up to? He tells us a little bit about something that every freshman at DePaul goes through. Discover Chicago. So in general, I guess, from what you have seen since you've moved in, um, what have freshmen been up to since moving in? Especially since nobody's really been on campus until like today. Right. Um, a lot of the uh, Discover Chicago classes have been happening, and I'm doing uh, Explore, which mm-hmm. starts Thursday for me. Now explain that to me, because I know um, DePaul has a lot of transfer students. And right. I know I'm one of them. A lot of us didn't even do Discover oh. or Explore. So I guess for future transfer students who are also doing their first day, explain what it is. Okay, so Discover Chicago, 
those are classes that start a week before all the other ones do. Mm-hmm. And so those like vary from a whole bunch of topics. I know my roommate, he's in a uh, St. Vincent de Paul class mm-hmm. where they talk about his ideology and just his beliefs and how he tried to change Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they do a lot of community service work around the city. Uh, Which one did you choose to do? Um, for my Explore, I chose Radio Chicago. Oh, good choice. I know. <laughs> so yeah, um, that one I'm really excited for. Uh, we get to go on a bunch of tours for, uh, I think, four or five different radio studios around the city, which is awesome. You get to see how they work. So clearly Mitch is really excited for his classes. And why wouldn't he be? This is a freshman ready to start his first set of classes at a university. But more than just his first week of classes, what does Mitch expect out of his whole freshman year? In fact, what does every freshman expect out of their whole freshman year? So I think we talked about what your expectations would have been like pre-moving, mm-hmm. but what what like feelings do you get when you think about this first year as a whole? I'm anxious. Anxious? Just... Good way or bad way? Unsure still. Yeah. Because um, like you're actually living on your own now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I have to take care of myself. And for some people, that's okay. Some it's not. Mm-hmm. For me, like, I'm pretty well balanced in the city since I'm from the west suburbs. And so I've been to the city. I know it fairly well. And just adapting to a new school style because it's not high school anymore. Mm-hmm. You are trusted and yeah, you have an responsibility. Adult. <laughs> Adulthood. You think you'll be able to do it, though? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's if good. I made it this far in life, I think I'm good. So, anxious but confident. Yes. Good. Okay. So, classes start tomorrow. How do you think it'll go? Yeah, I think they'll go great, because during uh, the tours that they had during the summer, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the main reasons I chose Paul actually, just seeing their CDM building and all they have to offer. Yeah. I have all this technology available for me to use, and the professors, they're there to help. It's like they want to help us succeed and see what we can make, actually. Mm-hmm. Like you said that you found a lot of tools very helpful when you explored the CDM building. How do you think going to school in the city is going to be an advantage? Chicago, just really find anything you need to mm-hmm. do what you need. Like the CDM building, they have a whole uh, film equipment, anything you can need to make a movie, and then just the city, so much beautiful scenery. Mm-hmm. So you could start up a film right here, right now, if you needed to. Um, it's more than a school, it's a community, and they build it that way, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's very like family, friend-based. They make a support group for you right out of the gate. So that's amazing. Do you think you'll be able to, if you haven't already found your niche or like group of people? Oh yeah, I've definitely already found some. Yeah? Just the small events they've had, like the trolleys to Target, that's where I met most of my friends, just on a simple trip to Target. I know a lot of things will change, like people will like, okay, I have to actually study now and do work, no no more fun going out as much. So we can kind of start to get an idea here now about what a freshman thinks about school before their classes. It would be really interesting to see what they think after their classes have started, right? Well, guess what? We can do that because Mitch was kind enough to sit down with me one week after and talk to me about how his first week of classes went. So here we go. Okay, so the overall question, how was your first week of classes? Not as bad as I thought. Really? Um, Yeah, I love all my classes so far. Like I 
can't really complain too much about any of them. Okay, which classes do you have, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I have, uh, in the loop, uh, two classes, uh, Playgramming and mm-hmm. Fundamentals of Game Design. What would you say workload is so far, first week? Um, first week, nothing too intense, of course, just still uh, getting us into the swing of things mm-hmm. here. But yeah, it's uh, all pretty self-explanatory. The teachers, uh, they explain it very well. D2L helps out a lot with the yeah. Dropbox. It's a lot more useful than you thought. Oh, yeah, very much. So then workload is more than you expected or less? Um, first, first week, what did you anticipate? It's a bit less than I anticipated. Um, yeah. Because I knew with the quarter system, I would just be thinking, okay, we're just going to be getting homework right out of the bat. Just mm-hmm. let's get this done, see what we can do. Yeah. But yeah, they've been really good about it, just helping us like learn what the class is all about and just trying to see where we are. Are there a lot of non-freshmen in any of your classes? Um, so far, the um, one that I don't think there's any other freshmen in is um, my Introduction to Cinema class. How do you feel in that class, I guess, being the only freshman? Um, the way the professor has the class structured, it doesn't really matter what grade you are, because mm-hmm. we're all just there for the same reason, just we want to know how films are made, the process, everyone's role in making a movie. So there was no intimidation aspect there with uh, upperclassmen in no. the class. Oh, that's awesome then. So then your professors, do you like your professors? Oh, very much. Uh, All of them? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, why would you say you like them? What's good about them? Um, they aren't too intense. They know, like, for most of my classes, we're freshmen, we're just new to this. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, before I came here, I thought, like, oh man, I'm going into these intense, like, programming classes. So they might expect me to know how to do something, but they've been really helpful out of the bat. Just, you don't know anything, that's even better. Just so we can teach you from the beginning and just help you along the way. And they're available if you need help, even yeah. outside the class? Yep, uh, outside the class they uh, post their office hours, uh, their emails, and they've all been available so mm-hmm. much. I think out of all, I'm assuming you're taking four classes? Yes. Okay, out of all those four classes, which one's your favorite so far? Oh, so far it has to be a tie between my Explora Radio Chicago class mm-hmm. or um, the cinema class. Okay. Just because I'm a movie geek, I watch movies more than I probably should. Mm-hmm. And uh, the radio one, I just been something I've loved. Uh, I love podcasting and just radio, comedy, all that good stuff. Oh, the podcast is good. I love that comment. <laughs> I'm glad you like that. Um, I would say it's better. Um, better, okay. Yeah, um, it's it's easy to uh, transition into because um, at this point in your mind you should be, I am an adult now and I can handle these things. You don't have to worry about the workload as long as you know what you're doing and you're mature enough to handle it and be responsible for yourself. Then there's not a problem going this to classes here. You can tell it's kind of your next phase of adulthood. Right. Yeah, it's our first phase of adulthood. Yeah. Um, do you feel that the few days that you were here before classes started to help prepare you for that? Oh, definitely. Uh, a lot of the involvement programs and just random meetups to know people, It's it's all been really helpful just getting you into DePaul life here. And then you said um, when we last met, the involvement fair hadn't started yet. Right. You said. So then did you go to the involvement fair? Uh, yeah, I went. That was uh, last Friday. Mm-hmm. And how was it? Um, yeah, it was really nice. Um, it just rained, so the ground was a bit wet, and it was just 
a bit hard to move through the aisles, but um, yeah, no, a lot of the clubs were there. Um, out of the three hundred plus that are here, um, yeah, they all had a nice boost. Got to learn a lot of cool information. Uh, some of my favorites were the Doctor Who Club, uh, a comic book one. Uh, Between like you starting to choose clubs mm-hmm. and you're starting to get more assimilated into DePaul with your classes mm-hmm. starting and everything too. How do you see your classes going for the rest of the year? Um, definitely there's still going to be some intimidation when it gets to uh, like the finals and uh, mm-hmm. midterms and all that uh, stuff, but at this point, I'm confident with myself and my abilities uh, that I won't drown. Good. I think some confidence is required. Oh, definitely. For any sort of success. Um, your college experience... You're still confident it'll go well then. So to all those freshmen out there who are absolutely terrified about this upcoming year, Mitch is here to tell you that college is really not as scary as it might seem. Friendly and eager people like Mitch are why DePaul is so proud of our community of students. Don't worry, freshies. Breathe. We'll only tease you a little. Sanjana Karanth is back as a regular contributor to our show. I think the biggest piece of advice I have for freshmen is to keep an open mind and be ready to try new things. When I say keep an open mind, I mean don't put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to your career. Of course, I always encourage aiming high in your ambitions, but honestly, a good amount of students realize their freshman year that the career they thought they wanted to pursue isn't the career they want anymore. And that's okay. I started out my college career as a pre-med student. In fact, I shaped my entire high school career around eventually going into medicine. One semester into college, and I knew I didn't want to go into medicine anymore. I stayed in my major for an extra semester because I thought maybe this is just a phase. But it turns out journalism is what I'm meant to do. And it's okay to change my mind. You're not even 20 yet, and you shouldn't be expected to decide the rest of your life right now. Change your major. Take up a new hobby. Join a club you know nothing about. College is the time to try all these things. It's about trial and error, or trial and success. You'd be surprised what you end up loving. So I'm Peter Steves, and I'm a professor of philosophy here at DePaul University, and I'm also the director of the DePaul Humanities Center. And the DePaul Humanities Center is uh, what we're here to talk about today. It's a new school year, which means a new year for the Humanities Center. Um, Peter, is there anything in particular that you're excited about uh, for the Humanities Center's goals uh, this year? Yeah, sure. Well, we have a lot of new programming. Uh, We have new programming streams and new series and um, new ways that we hope to, to reach out to faculty, staff, students, and alums, and members of the community as well. So um, I could tell you a little bit, if you'd like, about some of the programming streams and some of the things we've got coming up. Sure. So every year since I've took over the directorship of the Humanities Center, uh, this is my third year, I've tried to create streams that run throughout the entire academic year. And so we'll have three of those this year, Uh, one being making the novel novel. And so the idea behind this is that we'll have multiple events where we're going to investigate the novel as a form of writing and ask what makes it special. And in order to do that, for most of the events, we're going to take a very famous novel and make it the focus of our attention 
but to try to interrogate it and to find new ways into it to expose parts of the novel that you may not have thought about before or ways in which it's relevant today that you may not have thought about before. And we're going to do this both by means of having some scholarly lectures by some national and even internationally known uh, scholars come in and talk, but also every event will involve multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary things as well. So we're going to have live dance, live music, puppet theater, uh, all sorts of things that you wouldn't expect happening at these. So we'll have um, Don Quixote will be our focus in the fall. And then in the winter, we'll do Lolita. And in the spring, we'll have Moby Dick. And then also in the spring, we're going to have a fellow named Christian Book, uh, who I think is going to be on this uh, program, or at least on Radio DePaul. And um, he's just a fascinating guy. And he's going to talk about his project called Xenotext, where he is working in microbiology, actually trying to get little extremophile organisms to build poetry writing into their DNA structure so that when they have their DNA recombining, they're writing new poetry. Yeah, so that those poetic streams are, are mixed as the DNA replicates and intermingles. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. And since it's extremophile life, and extremophile life, these are the little critters that, that live in like black smokers at the bottom of the ocean where the water is boiling or in zero degrees. Um, these are going to be the last things that are alive on Earth in about five or six billion years when the sun swells up into a red giant and consumes the Earth. So these, these little guys are probably the last things that are living on Earth. And so part of this is that the last thing that's going to be happening on Earth is that some living creature is going to be writing poetry, which is uh, poetic. <laughs> yeah, it's poetic. It, it definitely walks that line between insane and brilliant, I think, very well. Which is a line that we love at the DePaul Humanities Center. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, all right, so, yeah, making the novel novel something that you're going to be doing uh, three, four times, four times. Um, this year, starting, as you said, with Don Quixote. And yeah, that's not a question that that people ask enough. Um, the novel, I feel like, has become so commonplace, so accepted as a major form of literary right. transmission uh, that people don't question the actual structure and you know the things that make a novel. So that's those are definitely events that that I personally. Uh, I'm very excited for. Um, what else? Sounds great. Yeah. And and just just add one other thing to that. I mean, by starting with Don Quixote, we're starting with the first novel ever. Because yeah. that's generally considered to be the novel. And so just as you say, I think we take it for granted today as a kind of writing. But this is the 400th anniversary of Don Quixote. And when uh, Cervantes wrote that, really the novel was not a form of writing poetry, stories, um, long-form poems as well. Then you've got Chaucer's Calvary Tale, all sorts of things yeah. that you can trace the history of. But the novel is a relatively recent in invention. So it'll be nice to kind of interrogate that and think about it. You're right. Um, so there are all those events. Um, we also have a stream running throughout the year called The Hungry, Hungry Humanities. And I tried very hard to get a, a hippo on every poster, but I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be successful with that. But in the Hungry, Hungry Humanities, we're going to be looking at the way in which food manifests itself in various disciplines within the humanities. Um, part of the thinking behind that is that last year we focused on 
the sound of the humanities. So we had all sorts of events that had to do with not just music, but different ways in which sound is manifest in different humanities disciplines. And so this year we're working with taste, and I'd like to, to investigate each of the senses over these next few years. So it's uh, food coming up for us this year. And so we're going to have uh, our first event in that next month uh, that's going to be called Cezanne's Apples. And we're going to look at the paintings of Paul Cezanne, and we'll be asking why is it that he turned to the apple as his go-to for a still life, and why are Cezanne's apples the best apples ever painted, in, in my thinking. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. And then we have a panel of really exciting experts who are going to be talking not only about Cezanne and the history of still life, but also uh, people who will discuss the apple as a cultural object and how has the apple had a parallel history with the rise of civilization. Um, so um, Rowan Jacobson, who I think also is going to be here on Radio DePaul, is going to be talking about that. And then to start the evening, we're going to have an heirloom apple tasting, where everybody in the audience gets to sample five different kinds of apples that you've never, maybe never tried before. Um, so it's a, about food, but it, as you can see, it's sort of about food in a roundabout way, and a lot of the events will be that way. Yeah, well, food is, you know, one of the few things that is universal among all humans. For so sure. um, what better way to celebrate the humanities um, than to celebrate it through food? Smartly put. And then there's one more uh, major is. stream is coming up in uh, in the fall, in particular with the, uh, the horror of the humanities. That's correct? true. So every year... Um, since I took over as director, we've done uh, an event called the Horror of the Humanities. So this will be number three. And this year we're putting it together with one of our ongoing streams called In Conversation with Great Minds. And so for the Horror of the Humanities, part of it is going to be that we have Brandon Cronenberg, the filmmaker here. He's David Cronenberg's son um, and just a great filmmaker in his own right. And he's made this fabulous movie called Antiviral, and he's going to be coming here from Canada. We're going to screen his movie, and then when it's over, he's going to sit down on stage with me, and we'll have a conversation about it and about horror in general and about his art. And then he's going to take some questions from the audience. And, um, and before Brandon comes out, the night will be even longer because at 5.30 in Student Center 120, uh, this is October 29th, we're going to begin with an what I call an avant-garde haunted house, which is basically like two dozen stations, poster boards, installations, performance art, uh, interactive sorts of things where people can come in and they can see displays and art basically about what is horrific already in everyday life, but we've been blinded to it. So we don't think of it as being a source of horror, but maybe it is if you think some more. So that'll be going on. And then right after that on stage, we're going to have horror-themed improv comedy mm. with some of the best improv comedians here in Chicago uh, doing some Halloween-themed improv. And I'm really excited about that, too, to think about how you can take something that usually is on one spectrum of you know, screams and tears, and if done the right way in the right context, actually produces laughter. So we'll have fun, but we'll also be thinking about that together, which is always the goal at the Humanity Center. Sounds great. And, you know, throughout when we've been talking, you've mentioned uh, several of the Humanity Center guests will be appearing on Radio DePaul, and that's it's one true. of the things uh, that I wanted to mention is this year uh, Radio DePaul is hoping to have a uh, – 
increased role, a bit of a partnership with the Humanities Center, uh, as we will be broadcasting those Humanities Center events live over the air as they happen. So if you cannot make it out to one of the events that uh, Peter has mentioned, definitely pay attention to uh, the Radio DePaul social media and most likely we will have a stream of that event as it's happening so you can be in on all the fun as well even if you cannot be physically there um that said peter how can people follow the humanities center stay up to date with the latest news so uh we have a website here at depaul uh i think you just look under depaul centers but it probably comes up pretty quickly under google too the humanities center depaul we're on facebook uh we're on twitter as well so we have a YouTube channel, so you can see a lot of the past events that have been recorded up on our YouTube channel. You have a lot of stuff from the George Saunders 24-hour uh, reading from I last spring. I think we spring. have four or so of the hours that are up there, including his keynote, Yeah, which is really pretty cool. So, All right. Well, definitely check that out. There's a lot of very exciting things coming to DePaul University, and all these events are free. Completely free. So there you go. Nothing better than that. Peter, thank you so much for coming down and talking Eric, to me. Thank you very much. It's a real honor, and we're really glad that you're going to be broadcasting, too. It's, we're really excited about that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. My thanks to Dr. Peter Steves for coming in and chatting with me about the DePaul Humanities Center. The first Humanities Center event of the year will be on October 7th. It will be Cezanne's Apples, the event that he was mentioning in the interview there. October 7th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. in Student Center Room 120AB. And Radio DePaul will be broadcasting that event live. So if you cannot make it out to the Student Center on October 7th, be sure to tune in to Radio DePaul to hear that event over the airwaves. Hi, everyone. My name is Matthew Barbusio. I'm a senior at DePaul University, and I have some advice for the incoming freshmen. It's something small, but I think it's something effective that I've employed in the past two years and has been a huge asset. And that is printing out your syllabus and highlighting what you need to do to pass the class. And not only pass, but succeed in the class. Then take some tape, take all of the pieces of paper that the syllabus probably is, because some of them are ridiculous and post it right up on your wall, right where you can see it when you walk in every single day. You will never miss a homework assignment, and I can tell you that much. You will never miss a homework assignment, and you will keep on top of it. It will always loom, but never scare you, because you know it's staring you in the face every day. You can't avoid it, so you won't be scared of it. This is something that can be overwhelming for a lot of students, is the workload, and I sympathize with this. Definitely coming into freshman year, I felt the weight of the workload upon my shoulders. But after this really smart, diligent student told me about this, it has been a huge help to me. And I wish that I knew about it even in high school. It is such a great tactic and it is such an effective way to live a healthy academic lifestyle. There you go. That's my advice. Take it or leave it. Um, but it's really, really great advice. Also, the Freshman 20 is a real thing. Get your act together. Get out there. Live a healthy life. Eat healthy. Exercise. Do it.
And you've heard Matt Barbusio before on this show, but this year we're welcoming him as a regular contributor. We're going to turn now to the DePaul men's basketball team, and they are certainly in a very good position to retool, reset, and get ready for a very exciting college basketball season under new head coach Dave Leto. On this week's episode of Blue Demon Weekly, Eli Herskovich sat down with associate head coach Rick Carter to talk about the team's new direction. Let's listen in. I'm happy to bring in the associate head coach of DePaul men's basketball, Coach Rick Carter. How's it going today? Very well, Eli. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great as always. Coach, just coming over from individual team drills. How's the team looking out there? We'll get to some of the individual players, but just from that standpoint of earlier today. You know, our guys are getting a lot better. You know, they're really learning to fight through fatigue. They're also, what we're really working on probably more than anything right now this time of year is just skill development. You know, basic things like ball handling, passing, shooting, and then putting some conceptual ideas together of like driving the basketball, spacing out, and like just working on our spacing on the court. That's something we talked about at one of those meetings earlier on in, in last May. You brought up how you're trying to get this team to be able to play 45 or 40 minute basketball games, get them conditioned, especially for those last two minutes. How is that going over the summer, trying to trying to get this team ready to go for those crunch time situations, especially in conference? You know, it's been really good because what we've done is we've made our individuals exactly 40 minutes long. And during those 40 minutes, what we don't do is we don't take any breaks. So we go straight for 40 minutes. We don't stop and shoot free throws. We don't drink water. We go and do a 40-minute workout. And what we try to do is at the end of each workout, the last 10 minutes, we make it competitive. We make it live. The other 30 minutes, there's competitive things going on, like who's making the most shots. So we still try to compete for those other 30 minutes, but it's one-on-one or two-on-two at the end of those 40 minutes. So our mindset behind that is if you can go 40 minutes hard in practice, then you can easily go 40 minutes in a game where every four minutes to six minutes, you're getting immediate timeout. When we call timeouts, you're getting a minute and a half break. So it's going to make it that much easier once we get into games. Yeah, you're getting the guys conditioned, ready to go for when they have to do it in live basketball games. Coach, for those who don't know who you are, where you've coached in the past, Western Michigan, Xavier, and Missouri, and also a stint at Michigan State, if I remember correctly, what have you learned from those coaching experiences that you want to bring to DePaul with this staff? You know, I would say that every place that I've been, obviously I probably took something a little bit different. Um, I graduated from Michigan State and I was very fortunate to work for Coach Izzo for three years as a graduate assistant. And he probably had the biggest impact on my future, just watching him and just being around him every single day. He was a relentless, tireless worker. He was a no-nonsense guy. He held people extremely accountable. But more importantly than all that, in order for him to do those things, he firmly believed in building relationships with your players. He didn't think that you could withdraw from a bank if you didn't deposit. So he was on our guys really, really hard, but when they weren't on the court, he developed an unbelievable relationship with the guys off the court so he could coach them hard. And he encouraged, or actually didn't encourage, he demanded all of us to do that as well, whether you were a GA, whether you were an assistant coach, whether you were the video guy. Everybody had to learn to develop relationships with the players. So then I went out to um, Fairfield and I worked for Ed Cooley and obviously now coaches at um, Providence. And Ed was a, I really learned to recruit from Ed. He was a phenomenal recruiter. He um, didn't leave any stone unturned. He really knew how to connect with any family and he knew and how to find out what was important to them and ask the questions to get the answers you needed to be able to solve that recruiting puzzle later on. So I really learned that from him. And he was obviously a tireless worker as well too, but he gave me a ton of responsibility. So I really started to sharpen my teeth of being on the court, doing individual workouts, learning offense, learning defense, and putting those to practice. And to be 100% honest, making mistakes. 
and he was okay with that. Then I came back to Western Michigan. I worked for Steve Hawkins, and Coach Hawkins was just, he's a very tough-minded guy. He played college football, and, like, he's had all these knee surgeries and shoulder surgeries, and, like, he's a blue-collar individual. Like, his teams dive on the floor for loose balls. Like, they're actually coming. We'll play them the first game of the year. And DePaul fans will see that the one thing those kids are going to do is they're going to compete, they're going to play hard. And it's really through his practices that they really get that knowledge of how to do it. And then um, from there, I went to – where did I go next? Oh, I was at Missouri next, yeah. And when I was Tough at, time remembering yeah, where you were uh, at. I've been, I've been a little bit of spots. Then I was at Missouri with Coach Haith. And Coach Haith, I was there for a short stint, probably about nine months. But the one thing that he was great at, he was really good at allowing people to do their strengths. So if you were a great recruiter, he was putting you in charge of recruiting. If you were great on the floor, he was letting you coach a team on the floor. But he knew how to not micromanage and give people – you know, they're just due and let them kind of do their job. And then obviously Coach Mack and my last stint at Xavier, you know, really just learning the Xavier system and the program. And they're a do-what-we-do program. They've been doing it for years, whether it's through Sean Miller, you know, Skip Prosser, so on and so forth. And just learning that this is how we're going to do it day in and day out. And the results are going to be the same. We're going to hold them accountable to that. So it was a really different way. I hadn't seen it done that way before, but obviously I took a lot from it as well. And I'm sure you've taken a lot from what you've seen across the Big East, coaching at Xavier in this last stint. What did you see from DePaul over the last couple seasons with your time with the Musketeers? Extremely talented group of players. You know, the one thing that I thought they did a great job of was just bringing in a high level of talent, like guys who could really, really score the basketball. The one thing that they didn't obviously have, and I think the numbers would show it, is they really didn't put a lot of effort in on the defensive end. And um, that's the one thing, obviously, moving forward that we're focusing on a lot is we need to be able to not only play offense for 40 minutes, but we got to be able to defend for 40 minutes because that's how you win championships. So I would say to bre- a brief summary of it is very talented offensively, defensively not getting the most out of their talent. And how is this team going into this season? Because you want to stress defense first. Defense then to offense. You try to get that those offensive buckets, easy buckets on that side of the floor. How is this team looking to progress defensively, especially early on, when you guys are getting ready to start your practices over the next couple of weeks? Well, obviously the foreign trip has helped us a great deal because we were allowed that time in the summer to work together as a group defensively. And that is the one thing that I think, looking at our film a couple times over in France, I would say that we made huge steps defensively, and not just individually, as a team. You know, because we want to play a form of defense that relies on help. Like, we're going to pack it in is what you call it. And we're going to be there in early gaps, and we're going to rely on our teammates. And it's going to take a lot of trust. So, you know, so far, they've really bought into it. And the the kids know. They knew they weren't very good at it. So when you come and coach is talking about it day in and day out, it becomes a priority, and they know if they want to play, that's something they're going to have to be able to do. This was a little bit of a, maybe a stretch of a comparison, but when I was watching a football game last year, one of the commentators was talking about if one player, especially with the Chicago Bears, this happened a lot last season, when one guy is trying to stay in their A gap and another guy is supposed to be in the B gap and one guy tries to overhelp in the other person's gap, you might miss a guy in your own gap. And that's, I think, what happened a lot last year, trying to over-pursue on, or overhelp on someone else's zone and missing a guy on, on your side. Absolutely. You know, I think in any sport that you play, probably the biggest thing defensively is trust and not having that trust violated. So if a guy drives a gap and you get beat and your guy's not there, well, you don't really have faith that he's going to be there the next time. you know. And then if he is there and then you go close out on your guy and that guy drives it, but the guy you just helped isn't there, 
there's that violation of trust. And then people start, like you say, overcome. Well, I can't close out as much. I'm not going to have high hands. I don't want to get beat off the dribble because he's not there. Bang, wide open three. So that trust factor becomes such a big deal because you have to know that your teammate's going to be there and you have to be accountable to being there. Getting to some of the individual players, who's really impressed to begin some of the individual drills? I know you worked with a guy who was really popular in March Madness last season, Matt Steinbrook, <laughs> a guy who was an Uber driver too. Maybe you talk a little bit about that. How could, how could a student athlete be an Uber driver and play like a big-time program at, at Xavier? Yeah. Well, it was a very interesting thing because Matt um, last year decided to give up his scholarship, and he gave it to his brother who was a undergrad. Matt was going to go to grad school for one year. So when he, as only Matt could do, he figured out the cost difference and said that it would make more sense for his family to do that. So when he gave up his scholarship, he was able to take on a job. And for him, what he was doing internship-wise, along with you know working out, honestly, the thing that probably made the most sense for him was to be an Uber driver. And I think the first weekend he did it, I don't know the exact number, but he made an astronomical amount of money. It was like you know five hundred dollars, you know, for a night. And he was like, "Oh my God! Like, why wouldn't I do this?" So, it wasn't a mainstay for him. I think it kind of got blown up a little bit, where it was he was doing it every day, all the time. That wasn't really the case, but he definitely did it throughout the year, you know, to make some money. There's no question about that. And getting to maybe a similar player as Matt Steinberg was a big man down low for for the Musketeers and for you guys last season. Do Rashad Stimmage or Tommy Hamilton strike you as a player that can have similar success as Steinberg did last year and the year before that? Absolutely. Um, Rashawn is obviously a quick twitch athlete. And, you know, the thing that we've been working on him more than anything is just creating space for himself. Like on the flight of the ball, ducking in, getting two feet in the paint, and then squaring your shoulders and either being able to go up and dunk it, you know, if you can, or if you can't, and somebody's body to body with you, still being able to finish through contact. And then more importantly than anything is just staying low and being on balance, like not getting pushed off your spot. And extremely coachable. He works extremely hard. And to be honest, in the summer, when he hurt his hand, actually it would have been the fall. No, the spring. The spring. Oh, last yeah. spring. Yeah, last spring when he, when he broke his hand and he wasn't able to go for the summer. That really hurt us because his energy level is infectious. Like when he's in the gym and he's running around, like it picks everybody up. So... We're really looking for that out of him more than anything. And then Tommy Hamilton, I mean, to be honest, I mean, he's been great. He's always on time. He's in the gym extra. You know, like the thing we're working with him more than anything is instead of taking, he's such a skilled kid that he wants to show off his skill set all the time. So he'll go between his legs and he'll fade away and he'll hit a 17-foot fadeaway. Or he'll get on the low block, take it to the middle, fade away. We're really trying to get him to punish people with two, two, two feet in the paint. So if you can get there two feet in the paint and go right up and score, there's no reason to have to show that skill set off. Like, use that when you need to. Don't make it a higher level of difficulty shot if you don't need to. Rashad Stimmage and Tommy Hamilton last year kind of lived outside of the paint. Stimmage's game was more so raw. His jumper was there, but his post moves weren't. And Tommy liked to stay on the arc or at the top of the key trying to get some of those three-pointers. Is there going to be enough room down low for both of those guys to operate? Oh, always. And part of the reason there'll be enough room down low is, is because of what you just said about Tommy. Tommy's very unique. He definitely has the ability to stretch the defense out and get to the three-point line. The other thing that he has the ability to do is he has the ability to force rotations. Because when he's on the three-point line and he picks and he pops, somebody has to rotate out to him. That's exactly how we lost to DePaul last year when I was at Xavier when we were here. They had those some hate? No, no hate at all. Honestly, I learned <laughs> to be really fair. I learned a lot from that game just because they did a great job of keeping five guys on the perimeter and they truly forced our hand. Like, okay, in this ball screen situation, 
we got to find a guy to come out here and cover this guy. So when you start getting rotations, you can find seams, you can find gaps, and more importantly, what you can find is layups or wide open shots. Eli's show Blue Demon Weekly airs on Wednesdays from 4 to 5 on Radio DePaul Sports, and he hosts another show called The Lineup that also airs on Radio DePaul Sports on Thursdays from 3 to 5. And that's it. That's going to do it for us on our first episode back. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe and follow us in iTunes or on SoundCloud or and this is very exciting. You can also listen to us on the Radio DePaul app. It's a brand new app that just launched a few months ago. It was in development most of the summer, and it has pretty much everything that you could ever want uh, from Radio DePaul all in one place. You can listen to the Radio DePaul stream. You can listen to the Radio DePaul sports stream. Listen to the Radio DePaul podcast, and then there's also some highlight segments, some uh, important interviews from the station, in case you missed it, news segments. You have easy access to our Twitter, Facebook pages, our websites, all sorts of really great stuff, all very easy in one place on the Radio DePaul app. That app is available now in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store for any of your Android or iOS devices. Please download it. Please tell your friends. It's such a great way to interact with the station. That said, you can always listen to us the old-fashioned way at radio.depaul.edu or on the brand new sports website, which will be launching soon, the radiodepaulsports.com, where you can access the Radio DePaul Sports stream. We'll be back next week with more of the best bits from Radio DePaul, Chicago's College Connection. <laughs>